The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today at the end of the episode, we have a short story from 25 Perfect Days plus five more. That story is 19 in a row. You can go back to the other episodes to check out those earlier stories. But I'm excited about today because I have a very special guest. His name is Alan Baker. He is the author of The Warrior's Path to Self-Improvement. He has 20 black belts, been training for over 40 years, which is amazing. Um, Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for having me on. I, I appreciate it. Uh, this is, man, when I was reading your bio, I was like, man, that's a, that's crazy. I, I just told my son, he's uh, eight years old, well, about to be eight, and he's trained a little bit in jiu-jitsu. Um, I do some stuff with him, and I, I mentioned it to them. He's like, how is that even possible that someone could train that long? And uh, so he was, he was pretty blown away by it. So I'll have to share this with him later. Um I would like to hear a little bit about your, you know, how did you find martial arts? Uh, like at what age was that? How did you start? And why have you spent your life doing it? Uh, well, I was, uh, I was a ratty kid. Um, I like to, I like engagement <laughs> to put it, uh, to put it lightly. Uh, I, I was uh, always wrestling and scrapping with the neighbors. Uh, I was a very, it was a big handful for my mom and uh, as an effort to start to rein me in a little bit. Uh, I was the type of kid that just constant energy. Uh, I, I hated going to sleep. I, I thought I was going to miss something if I went to sleep. <laughs> so she, in order to kind of rein me in a little bit, she took me to the local martial arts academy and um, introduced me to him. I started going to class and he had two sons. I remember, I still to this day remember it. Um, you know, he put me out there because you're going to spar with the kids first day. And they beat me to death and I loved it. Uh, it's it the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, and I fell in love with it immediately. And uh, after that, uh, I wanted to go to every school in town. <laughs> It was one of my motivations to get my first job was so that I can afford tuition. Uh, at the at the time, there was only about three different schools in a small town, and uh, I wanted to be a part of all of them. So uh, that's how I got started in it. Um, once I discovered the passion, I I constantly started looking for more. Um, I was just immediately drawn to it. Uh, the self-improvement aspect. I just loved it. Did you have any desire to fight or were you getting enough from, from the sparring and everything else? Uh, Cause one, like with me, I discovered, I discovered, I think I started with kickboxing, but I always had the idea, like I kind of wanted to fight. I kind of wanted to fight. And so I was just looking at martial arts as like a little tool that I can use to fight, which was a terrible way about, you know, <laughs> of doing it. Um, was was fighting ever in your mind? Um, well, um, we did a lot of it um, back then just for training. Uh, I had some crazy friends, and when we would learn something, we'd want to try it out, you know. Um, so not professionally or, like, sport-based until probably 
early twenties. Mm-hmm. We had, and I was part of an organization and they would have national events that were kickboxing events. And, uh, occasionally at, at that time, they just called it a bad man contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is back before <laughs> the UFC. So everybody would show up, the ring would be in a bar. Half the people that got in were drunk. So, uh, that was, that was my first experience. Um, I ended up breaking a rib <laughs> in one of the fights and that, that started to slow me down a little bit. That took me out of commission for like five months. You couldn't move or anything. So, uh, but I also enjoyed just fighting with a lot of my peers, mm-hmm. um, in class, outside of class more, um, just because I, the main reason I started, uh, getting into sparring and stuff is to increase the ability for a self-defense situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved both. I think they're both very important, uh, because sport-based fighting is a excellent way to develop attributes, timing, uh, position, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of things that, um, you know, you have to do consistently over time to get good at. So it, it gives you an environment as long as you don't get damaged, uh, to develop those things. Now with, can you list, uh, some of your different black belts? And I was wondering, are there any that mean more to you than others? Maybe some that were harder to achieve, maybe some, are there any martial arts that you feel are a little bit more effective? And I know that's a tough one. Like, uh, I'm good friends with Ben Saunders and he talks about like, man, anything you put a hundred percent into, like you can make that technique incredible, you know, but I was just wondering what your experience is with that. Uh, well, the way I look at it is, um, I always, I have a quote. I tell everybody when, when we start discussing what system is what better, and it's out of Burmese Bondo and it's all systems are designed by man for man. Therefore, man is ultimately the answer. The human machine is the answer. Uh, so I also have another principle I follow, which I call system as a source. So it's not the sole point of information. They are sources of information. And when you put the human machine in a combative situation with one opponent, two, three, four opponents, certain things happen because those uh, things are based on primal environments, primal energies, and we're only built certain ways. We only can do so many things. And um, there's only certain ranges that will happen in combat. Uh, so it simplifies it. So for me, I choose those ranges and what my goal is as far as tactics in each range and then I will borrow information from different systems to make sure I have a complete answer in each area. So I love all martial arts. Uh, I get more, for instance, out of jujitsu on the, you know, when I'm looking at ground fighting, but you also have other aspects on the ground like anti grappling or a ground fighting uh, aspect where I may be down and I'm having to fight three guys that are standing. They don't want to come down there. Maybe they know you know how to grapple. So how do you do with it, deal with that? Uh, and then you can pour weapons into that mix. So you, you have a ground based ideas uh, idea based on weaponry. So I try to keep a broad view, a realistic view, and then um, pick pieces of information out of my different sources and 
grow my own system. It's very Jeet Kune Do-ish, um, which is where a lot of the philosophies originally came from. So that's how I look at it more um, from my perspective. I could give you a list of uh, different systems I love to train, even to this day, um, because of what it does for me physically. But as far as developing good answers that will work for me in a self-defense situation, that's generally the approach I'll take. Mm. That's awesome. Uh, no, I really like that approach. Now, um, it was defensive tactics when I was becoming a bodyguard that really... Like, as soon as I experienced that, I was like, okay, this is what I want. I went and found jujitsu and, and fighting because uh, I knew it would help me with the bodyguard stuff. I, I saw our defensive tactics was really lacking. Um, and then I became an assistant instructor and everything else. So I would love to hear why you came up with your program. Tell me a little bit about your program. And um, yeah, uh, I just want to <laughs> find out more about that. Uh, well, um, I got introduced to the guys at the Executive Protection Institute in Virginia. It's probably been about 12 or 13 years ago. And I know you've probably had experience law enforcement, security, obviously. And those guys will have a defensive tactics instructor in, and it's the greatest thing in the world. And they'll train it. And then about six months later, they put their kid on or they're in a situation. They go, I don't know if I could do that. My boss will get mad if I do this. So let's have a new guy in. So they'll bring in another defensive tactics instructor and start the process again. Um, they had been doing that for many years. So when they brought me in, they said, um, what do you do? And I, I could see that that was a, a process that they just kept repeating. So I said, can I learn your environment? Can I go through your school? Uh, I'd like to work a few details, have an opportunity to be placed in uh, the situations that you're placed in. I also want to know the rules that you have to follow, both from your boss, your principal, and from local, state, and government. So once I got to experience it, I designed the system to fit that environment. So, you know, it has to have a force continuum. Um, one of the first sections of it is just the gift of gab, your ability just to talk and engage people before you ever touch them. Uh, because you can deal with a lot of stuff as a, as a protection agent with just uh, your mouth, <laughs> mm -hmm. talk your way out of it. Um, you know, we really, truly can't put our hands on people in those situations, especially, uh, you know, if you are working a client that is uh, executive based. So the, the threat has to touch you first mm -hmm. or they have to walk into you. So you have to take that in consideration. And additionally, what does it look like? You know, cameras, cell phones, anytime people see a situation about to happen, they're like, oh, this is gonna be good. I'm gonna put this on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And you may be in the right as a protection agent to, to protect your client, but if you embarrass them or you make it look bad, even though you're in the right, you're fired. So this system had to be designed to kind of hide what you're doing behind those. Uh, it had to be visually appropriate and socially acceptable. So um, all of that got poured into this soup and uh, we, we built the system to fit those qualifications. And uh, we've been teaching it probably 12 or 13 years now over at EPI, uh, long enough for to teach new agents and have them go out and then they'll come back and go, man, this worked. 
I had this happen. And I'm, I'm the type of personality that I'm constantly tweaking, trying to improve it, you know? And so over the years, it's just gotten better and better uh, to the point where now we've got a lot of law enforcement agencies. Um, obviously with a lot of what's going on, they're looking for the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. visually uh, things have to be done differently. So we picked up a lot of clients in the law enforcement industry all over the United States with, with that program. Um, it actually led into an additional program with the Vehicle Dynamics Institute out of New Jersey. Uh, we, we ended up building their program fighting in and around cars uh, as a protection agent. Um, so it's, it's been a, an incredible journey. I always tell those guys, they've taught me way more than what I've taught them. Every time I go, it's, it's such a incredible industry. Uh, and the opportunities, as you probably know, the places you get to go, the people you get to meet, it's just incredible. Yeah, no, I, I think so. Uh, one thing that I often hear, I always hear a lot of guys saying, you know, uh, especially police officers need more training. They should have martial art training. They should have this or that. They should at least be a blue belt. Now, that is difficult to obtain, and, and maybe that's a great idea. But with your type of training, even if they don't have a martial arts background, if they go through your training, they should be able to handle situations competently, correct? Yes, we've actually had a tremendous amount of success with it. Um, you know, it's not your traditional martial art. Uh, the truth is, the better you are with the first level of it, which we um, call soft control, uh, the better you are at holding it at a de-escalated level. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you, they have to kind of work it at least two or three times a year to get good at it. Um, but if they start to develop those skills at a lower level, the, the threat has to super elevate in order to get around your de-escalation. And, uh, you know, they're clearly stating where they're going at that point, uh, which is a lot of the, what I'm seeing is the problem is, is he really resisting? Are those guys being a little too rough? Um, so it gives them something that they can handle a threat with, uh, and it forces the threat to really have to go past that point of no return in order to get around it. Mm. Awesome. Now, why did you decide to write a book? So it's The Warrior's Path to Self-Improvement. What is that book about? Who did you write it for? And when did that all come about? Oh, wow. Um, as I've grown up in the in a warrior culture, uh, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, you know, you, you go to class, you learn martial arts, and you practice, um, and there are challenges on the, on the mat. Um, that will bring out things that you need to work on as a human being. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's actually one of the most beautiful places in the world for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so you, you are offered opportunities to improve yourself on a weekly basis and how you deal with them. Sometimes, you know, you learn more about yourself yeah. or you just shut it down and go, I don't need it. Well, I was fortunate to have teachers that, would recognize those moments and they after class they would go let's have a talk you know uh i saw how you dealt with that and you know this is probably going to be a moment to learn a life skill and this is the life skill you need to learn and that happened 
so many times over the years. And that information wasn't on the curriculum, you know, uh, which was surprised me. And after about 20 years in, I'm like, I'm going to write this down. Uh, and I started making a list of them because I knew I would end up teaching. And uh, I started to share them myself because, as you know, in that environment, those opportunities are not just popping up for you. They pop up for everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, as I started to share it over the years, I got the same response back from a lot of students. And where's this from? Do you teach this to everybody? I, well, not really. It's kind of a thing I, I got from my teachers that was passed on in the background or on the corner of the mat, as I like to say. And, and that's what I do there. You should write this down. Everybody should see this like years of hearing that. So, um, you know, I had taken notes, but then the apocalypse happened last year, you know, mm -hmm. and everything shuts down. So, um, uh, you know, as a, the warrior's perspective. It's you're constantly, what can I do creatively and positively with this time? So I thought, you know, I'm going to make a list is what it was going to be. Maybe write it out. And it started to gradually turn into a huge list and it molded by the end of last year into that book. So that's, that's basically what the book is and, and where it's from is the information that is hidden in the martial arts that would benefit in my opinion, everybody. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's just maybe not everyone has access to it. So I'm hoping this gives a outlet for people who don't get to go to the class and get it to learn the information and benefit from it. And 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 the approach is a little more of a warrior's perspective, um, much like yourself. That's how we grew up. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, and there's different options out there for self improvement. Um, that's just the path I present it due to my experience. That's awesome because I do think, I think martial arts is incredible for all ages. So like I've seen, yeah. I've seen what it's done for my kids. I've seen what it's done for adults. I know what it's done for myself, for my wife who started late. Uh, but there are so many people that will never get to learn these lessons because they're never going to go on the mat. They're never, you know, they probably never will. Maybe they have something holding them back. So by being able to read a book and get those same powerful messages. I think that's really cool. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm, well, I'm hoping we'll see. I, I, well, I do have to say I've gotten contact uh, from a lot of people. It's surprised all over the world, uh, you know, and it's a first for me, never would have thought I would, would even come close to writing a book, but that's probably been the most uplifting thing I've seen as a guy in Australia got in touch with me and he goes, man, I read this and it was just what I needed to hear at the right time. And I was like, man, that's cool. That's the coolest thing. And, and I've got several of those. And, uh, that, that, that is the biggest payback is knowing that you can take something and be able to share it. And somebody else is, is growing. They're benefiting from it. Yeah, no, I think I think that's incredible. I think if you can change, if you could improve one person's life, like that's amazing. Um, I always had a hard time sharing my stuff, you know, feeling like it's bragging, uh, just marketing in general. But I had a friend or someone I met at a, a book festival. He's like, man, he's like, if you have something that you believe in that can actually help improve someone else's life, he's like, not only should you share it, but you're kind of like obligated. Like that's the right thing to do is to get that out there. So uh, I'm happy that we're 
we're talking about this. I'm actually, I'm going to definitely read it. Um, wow. <laughs> now, one thing that I saw uh, you mentioned is uh, breath work and meditation. Uh, so I'm right now I'm at, I'm finishing up my book on recovering from traumatic brain injury. That's the follow-up of my MMA book. Um, I didn't think I had traumatic brain injuries, and so I was writing it for other people that did. But the more I went into the book, the more testing yeah. I did, I, my brain was a wreck. And uh, so I've managed to turn that around. But one of the very last chapters, I deal with breath work and meditation. Mm -hmm. um, so I would like to hear from you, you know, why, why, are, why do you even mention those things? Why, why are those two things important? Um, well, to go back to my experience, uh, how I got most of my information is from my teachers and in my life. You know, we were warriors and a lot of times in a warrior's culture, you're introduced to things physically first and you'll learn those principles physically. And then a good teacher says, hey, you know, you can apply this emotionally, mentally, spiritually. So um, I got introduced to physical challenges and I was pretty athletic, but a good teacher will make them more and more challenged until you can't do it because he wants you not to do it. And then he wants to see how you handle it. And when I finally got to that point where I couldn't produce more physically, I couldn't squeeze more out of my body. That's when my instructor introduced uh, breath work. And um, he, he used the term that the breath is the bridge. It is the one thing that you can take control over that allows you to control your body your mind, your emotions, um, and, and rein them in and, and control them. And then eventually use them to empower you and move forward with it. So he started to introduce different types of breath work, uh, depending on what I was doing physically. That's how I first got introduced to it. And, um, it ended up being a daily routine. You know, we would do it in the mornings, uh, and, he, he had me start doing it like a 10 minute routine in the morning of just what, what he called a full cycle breath and the benefits that came out of that. Um, he was a type of teacher that would say, look, just go do it and then come talk to me later. Because mm -hmm. uh, he wanted you to find it on your own. He, you know, he said, you walk the path, you have the journey and then let me know what you find. And I started realizing just how much it would change on a daily basis, the amount of energy you have on a daily basis, the clarity you have, the quietness and the peace that it creates inside the body. Um, it was amazing to me. And one of the big things for me, like I said earlier, I was a very hyperactive kid. <laughs> uh, one of the stories I tell in the book is uh, where I went to school, they wanted to drug me. <laughs> So they called my mom and was like, hey, you need to put this kid on drugs, man. We can't handle him. So thank God for mom. She was like, nope, you guys, you got to deal with him. And um, but the breath work was one of the first things that helped me quieten the mind to the point where I could focus on something. And at that time, you know, it was physical because of the training. But um, as I moved forward in life, I, I, I realized that it was the beginning of mental control, emotional control. And so it, it is such an important thing um, to, to, to master, even on a basic level, so that you can move on later to 
controlling yourself and the different elements of the, of the human machine. Uh, sometimes I believe it's just hot as breath work and it's great for you. But uh, when you start getting introduced to those additional benefits and, and how it can connect you to growth, emotional control, it's, it's just one of the most incredible things in the world. It, uh, I could talk about it for an hour. Um, it's, uh, I teach it a lot more now openly in my uh, classes, uh, clients when I'm, when I'm doing coaching or mentoring. Um, you know, even we have a group that we're working with, it's just business related. And, um, you know, they're, they were like, why are we doing this until they've done it for about two months? And they're like, we get it. You know, as you know, the more you're able to master yourself and hone yourself as a tool, mm -hmm. the better you can apply outwardly to the world, the more you can change, the more you can affect it's, um, it's it like it grows in both ways. Uh, you get better, and the things you will express outwardly to the world will improve. Yeah, no, I think I think that's amazing. Um, when I first started doing the chapter, I had a really hard time because breath work and meditation feels like for someone that's super productive and wants to be on the go, it feels like you're doing nothing. Right? You're yeah. you're sitting there and you're doing nothing. Um, but like I was looking back, I'm like, oh, well, I'm really, you know, I do my breathing all the time. I just wasn't even aware of it. You know, I'm doing meditation all the time, too. I just wasn't aware of it and just how powerful it was. And it was because learning it through jujitsu, learning it through yoga, learning the power of it and by actually experiencing it first and then reading up on it and trying different variations like that's only made it that much better. But, yeah, I, I tell everyone uh, one of the coolest things is whenever my son is having a hard time he's wound up or, or even if he wants to go into the cold pool, like he'll just start doing his breathing. And, uh, it, it's so cool to see like, okay, he already has this. He already understands like the, that it's powerful. Um, so yeah, no, that that's, that's awesome. Now I have a very selfish question. Um, cause I, I struggle with, um, so for the last year, or so I haven't trained anything. I haven't trained jujitsu, uh, part of it's COVID related, but also I have a neck injury. Yeah. And I've really struggled with, okay, I want to go back. I want to get back on the mat, but I also know I'm probably going to keep messing up my neck. Uh, I think a lot of that is my identity, you know, struggling with identity. I want to be a tough guy. I want to get a brown belt. I want to get the black belt. You know, I, I want those things. I want to be, you know, um, but for someone like that, you know, that has an injury, would you recommend maybe a, a softer art? Or, or do I need to change my mentality on how I train and, and how have you been able to maintain your body with all this training, you know, where, cause I'm sure you've had plenty of injuries and you've oh. had to probably take time off. So what advice could you give me or someone else in my position who's a little bit older, but does want to get back into training? Uh, well, one of the first things is you, after a certain age, you have to have a self maintenance program. And uh, you want to put time into developing it, which sounds like you're doing with the yoga, mm -hmm. uh, joint expansion, joint work, breath work, um, to keep the body uh, loose and open. Um, that's a definite. Uh, along with diet, uh, you know, it becomes more important as we get a little older. Uh, a lot, Guru Dan Anasano, who is one of my teachers and mentors of many years, I mean, he is in his late 80s. And he still gets up and does private lessons and trains. So, and he does a lot of that as well. He does a lot of physical 
maintenance. So um, that's a big key to it. And the second big key is the culture you build around you. Um, you know, when you go to a martial arts school, a lot of times the culture is built by the school um, or the network, so to speak. And you might go to another one and it'll have a little different culture. Um, you can build one of your own. You can say, I'm going to use this partner, this partner. And even now I've got a shoulder injury I'm having to deal with. And I have to tell my partners, this is the percentage. And I mean it, mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to stay away from this area. Um, and we're going to train in this way. And the big thing is that you keep moving. Um, even if you have one partner that understands and says, okay, Mark, we're going to, we're going to roll today, but I'm going to stay away from your neck. Uh, Maybe I'll just work guard or I'll work side Mm -hmm. control. And you know, anytime you feel uncomfortable because it's getting close to an injury, you tell me, I understand that. And I have to check my ego a little bit and we'll work around it because really the truth is you, you, you have to keep moving, even if it's just a little bit, you know, a mm-hmm. couple times a week. <laughs> if the culture has gotten so rough that it's causing you to step outside of it, then it's time to adjust the culture. Well, because that's one of my problems. I realized where I had been training was 10th Planet uh, headquarters with Eddie Bravo. So yeah. I go down there, but everyone there, like they want to show off. They want to perform in front of Eddie. It's a lot of killers. And then I don't have the ability yet. I haven't developed that ability to say no. So I want to go with 20 year old white belts or, or higher belts that are going super, super fast. I'm going to get hurt. Like I need to, either I can't go there or I need to develop the mentality. Like, okay, I'm just not going to engage. I have to set my boundaries and, and really stick to them. Like I'll go in with the idea that I'm going to do that. But then when it comes to it, like, I'm like, Oh, well screw it. And then I'm not going to tap and then I'm going to get hurt. And so, so much of my ego, even though it's, I realize it's a problem like that ego is still there and I'm having a hard time, you know, letting yeah. that ego go. And, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, they'll drop out because of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll talk about the good old days mm-hmm. and I'll tell them all the time, right now is the good old days. You should be making them. And, you know, it, it, it's life. You know, if you have to move over to that corner and slow down a little bit, um, that's the way it is. The big thing is don't stop. Mm-hmm. Go back to class, you know, or, or if you have to find another one that, that gives you the ability to move your body and continue to grow because they are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what's important because it keeps you healthy. You know, when you stop moving, it's when you start dying. And uh, we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want that at all. And I want to I want to be a role model for my kids. I want them to see me That's training cool. again and they want to get back into it, too. So the goal is um, we're going to start up again the uh, first of May. Awesome. So, and just, you know, nice and slow and, and, and ease back into it, because, yeah, I think the martial arts are incredible. I wish I had. I wish I had uh, realized the importance of them early on. I wish I had been exposed to them early on. And I mm-hmm. um, in all kids. I think, I think if martial arts were in schools, I think it would be amazing. Um, I, I went to Brown university and I was able to, uh, interview kids that it was their first time. They have a grappling and like a fighting club at Brown and, uh, lots of these kids, it was their first time doing any kind of martial arts. And they were just talking about just how much it gave them, not, not only confidence, but body awareness. I yeah. just, I, I think it's just such an incredible thing. Um, 
So I really appreciate you coming on and, you know, talking about your journey, talking about this book. Um, where, so where can people find out more about you? Where can they pick up the book? Um, you know, yeah, where are they going to follow you on social media? Uh, well, right now the book is on Amazon. Uh, just uh, enter in the title of the book and it should come up. Uh, I have a couple of websites. Uh, the one that's just for me and the Warriors Path program is sifuallenbaker.com, S-I-F-U, uh, which means teacher. Uh, the name of the academy in Atlanta is the Atlanta Martial Arts Center. You do a search on it, it it'll come up. We've been there for almost 20 years. Um, and on social media, Facebook, Instagram, I'm Sifu Allen Baker. Okay, awesome. Well, I hope, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to finally traveling again and getting to different places. And so if we do head down there, I'll definitely like that to would be attend, awesome. attend some of your classes. Now, I think, I think that'd be cool. That was one of my favorite things about uh, when I went around the country interviewing fighters. Uh, I had hit 23 different states. I was very intimidated by it, but it was just such an incredible thing by meeting all these different people, you know, and talking to different people on the mats and meeting all these different instructors and just what a good experience that was. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. So I, I would love to go down to your school. I think that'd Anytime. be amazing. Consider it a second home. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you again for being on here. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope you have an amazing day. All right, Mark, let's keep in touch. I appreciate it. And uh, let me know how that training goes when you pick it back up. Awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I know I learned a lot from it. I'm excited about checking out his book. Uh, hopefully you will as well. That's The Warrior's Path to Self-Improvement. Now we're going to go with a little bit of fiction. This one is taken from 25 Perfect Days plus five more. 19 in a row narrated by David Thompson. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you have an incredible week and I will talk to you later. Peace. Nineteen in a row. April 24th, 2046. Emily Jaworski stopped at the front door and hovered her hand above the reader. Try as she might, she couldn't bring herself to go inside. She was at the wrong house. Unlike Justin, the man she should have been with, Brian didn't understand what she was going through. And he never would. After wiping her eyes with her sleeve and fixing her hair, Emily placed her palm against the reader. There was a soft click, and the door slid open. A cold blast of air greeted her when she entered the house. The place that would never be a home. Emily crossed the living room, leaning her briefcase against the wine cabinet, no one asking her how her day went, whether a decision had been reached. She didn't know if the house was quiet because Brian already knew the answers to those questions, thought he knew them, or did not care. Uncaring. That's what she was becoming. Not about her work, she would never give up on that, but about the important things, the things she'd dreamt about as a child. Emily no longer cared about her husband, what he thought of her, or how he didn't appreciate her. She was ashamed how much she disliked him. This wasn't the relationship she had been promised. It wasn't the type of relationship that Justin proved possible. Brian broke the silence, calling out from the kitchen. I want to talk to you. Emily took a deep breath and blew it out. She moved down the hallway, 
past the mirror she'd repeatedly asked to have removed. It was fine if Brian wanted to talk. This time she was ready. There was her Prince Charming, the stud she should be forever grateful for. He sat at the table in his too tight tank top, a half-finished drink in his hand, even though it was still light outside. Flexing his arms so it looked like he wasn't trying, Brian downed the rest of his drink and poured another from the bottle of whiskey beside him. He waved Emily over. Have a seat. Emily was halfway across the kitchen before she realized she was moving, responding to his commands. To prove she had a mind of her own, Emily opened the refrigerator and got a bottle of water. While she unscrewed the cap, she watched him watch her, knowing her little detour made him that much angrier. Brian gulped half his glass, cleared his throat, and waited, the tattoos on his upper arms rising and falling as the muscles twitched. The controller's clenched fist covered his right arm. The way's path of fire cutting through the clouds decorated his left. Emily thought it fitting that the only thing separating church from state was Brian's broad chest. Too bad even less separated it in the real world. When Emily made no move to join him at the table, Brian rose from his seat, his particle pistol holstered on his hip. I asked you to sit. Emily took her time, walking to the table and pulling out her chair. Do you have to wear that in here? Brian's eyes narrowed, and he took his seat. Unlike lawyers, controlling force agents are always on duty. I need to wear it, and I will wear it. Well, I'd feel better if you left it off when you got home. Yeah, well, I'd feel better if I had your job and could stop working the second I left the courtroom. His daddy could have bribed Brian's way into a law school, but not rig it so he passed. She was tired of fighting, of making the day worse than it already was. That's why Emily kept quiet. And you know what else I'd feel better about? Without giving her a chance to guess, he said, Moving out of this goddamn place. How long are we going to live here? Sorry, it's not as nice as your Aunt Susie's. She'd only been to the house, but vowed never to return. Not about to believe anyone related to Brian would act out of self-sacrifice. Afraid we'll never make enough to live in the hills. It doesn't have to be the hills, but it has to be better than here. How long before you stop wasting your time and start making some money? I'm not wasting my time. What else would you call 19 consecutive losses? I told you what was important to me when you asked me to marry you. I told you what I wanted to do with my life. Brian couldn't say a word about that, having lied to her about everything, tricking her into marrying a man he was not and had no intention of becoming. So as always, he raised his voice, the only way he knew how to win a debate. Look at this shithole. It's an embarrassment. We could go live wherever we wanted if you'd stop fighting the goddamn losing battle. Brian took a drink. I hope you're smart enough to accept that you're never going to win. You can't go against the government. Emily sipped from her bottle, hid the rage inside. Until they change the law, I'm not stopping anything. I'm not asking for much. Just one change. Things are fine the way they are and they're not going to change. 
Things aren't fine, she snapped. They killed my father. Lower your voice. Afraid what could happen if she didn't, Emily regained her composure. He didn't even have a trial. The five-minute rule is bad enough, but without a trial, allowing it is unthinkable. I'm not trying to change the world. I just want to amend one law. And it's not going to happen. How many more times do you need to lose before you realize this? As many times as it takes. I don't mean to get upset, he said, as if talking to the child they would never have. But I worry about you. It's bad enough that you don't go to services with me. Then you wear that thing and go blaspheming the government. Emily fingered the silver St. Michael medallion lying against her chest. Her Uncle Terence had given it to her as a constant reminder of her father. Not that she needed one. I'll wear what I want and believe what I want. Remember, that's what people did when this was a free country. It still is. Emily laughed. Brian kept talking. You can't expect to say and do whatever you want. I don't know how long they'll leave you alone. Thanks to that bullshit stunt, Todd Bold, I'm only an agent. And until my dad gets his grandchild, he's not going out of his way to help us out. I'll take my chances. What's the worst that can happen? They arrest me for a crime I didn't commit, then let someone beat me to death that same day? No big deal, right? Brian stared at her in a way that Justin never would, the hatred undeniable. Give it a rest, will you? No. And in the meantime, I can be the laughing stock of the entire force and just suck it up. You got any idea how this makes me look? It shouldn't matter. Brian's fists clenched, his eyes on her throat. You know what they call me? You know my fucking nickname? Ofer. He pounded the rest of his drink, then slammed the glass on the table. How's that for a fucking name? Loafer? Ofer, as in zero for 17, 18, 19, as in you won't stop beating this goddamn dead horse, as in I can't get my own wife to see reason. Emily kept quiet and took another sip of water. Ofer, he repeated, his face bright red, as in zero for however many times we've had sex. It's not my fault you told them I wasn't sterilized. I didn't. Emily's anger swelled, and she didn't know how much longer she could hold it. Then how would they know? What, did your dad show them his little list? What list? Brian's dad had used his power to obtain a list of unsterilized women in San Angeles. She had found it in Brian's drawer when cleaning. Nearly every other woman had been crossed off, rude comments next to their names. Fat, hideous, Hispanic, boring, low HIS, so on and so on, until he finally got to Emily's name, her health index score, hobbies and interests scrawled beside it. Emily decided it couldn't go left unsaid. She no longer cared if he slapped her, or punched her, or even pulled out his gun and shot her in the face. You didn't just bump into me at the library. Drop it, he warned. You haven't read a book since we started dating. You've never once taken me to a museum. You're nothing you pretended to be. I am who I am. Why'd you pick me? 
That's all I want to know. Emily used the voice she saved for the courtroom, the ones she never used with him. Were you tired of looking, so you gave up on the list? Was your daddy pushing you too hard for a grandson? Brian pressed his fist to his lips, rocked back and forth, and watched her. That's why your friends make fun of you, because you married an ugly girl just to make a kid, and after five years you still don't have one. Emily drew a breath. Before Brian could speak, she said, And don't you dare say I'm not ugly. I am what I am, too. I know why we only have sex with the lights off, why we never kiss in public, why you won't hold my hand and always walk ahead of me, so don't give me that shit. Are you done? Any more questions? A sick smile twisted into place. No? Good. Because I've got some of my own. Emily's stomach dropped. Brian knew something, and the only thing she could think of was he'd finally discovered what she'd been doing. And if he knew that, nothing else mattered. You know the law, right? You're so fucking smart. You know all the little laws. Emily nodded, afraid of where he was headed. So you know what would happen if I uploaded certain photographs of you and your little faggot boyfriend to the controllers. You know what would happen to the both of you. Emily placed both hands on the table to keep them from trembling. He had known all along and let it continue, probably just so he could get proof. I'm guessing you don't want that to happen. I'm guessing you'd be crushed if anything were to happen to that fucking pansy. You also know you won't be granted a divorce unless I ask for one. So, you've got a decision to make. What? Stop taking the birth control pills you've been hiding and give me a damn son. So you and your dad can corrupt his mind to follow the way? Or I send those photos. Two choices, one decision. Yours to make. You don't even care that I've been with another man. Brian shook his head. I don't care about you. I might have once, but that's over. You're a slut, and for that you'll burn. He took a drink. Give me a son and I'll divorce your sorry ass. You and your little boyfriend can fight the good fight and fix the world. I hate you, Emily said as her eyes began to water. Think of your wonderful Mr. Adams, Brian said. I really don't think you want me to visit him. If anything happens to him, what? You can't touch me. And I won't, Emily said. You hurt Justin, and you'll never get a child. So I leave him alone. Forever. Fine. I don't care about him. He's nothing. He can have you. For the first time in their marriage, Emily realized her power. And I'll still see him. It took Brian a moment to answer. You better be pregnant in six months, and if it's not mine, you both die. The tear slipped down her cheeks. So, what's it going to be? Brian asked. Are you going to give me my son? Emily cried too hard to speak. That's not an answer, he said. She wanted to tell him he was too stupid to realize the tears were exactly 
that. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.